Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. I'm very fortunate to have my good friend and colleague, Nathaniel Elliott, here today. He is a software infrastructure consultant. Uh, I said that correctly. I'm very proud of myself. And uh, Nathan, can you tell uh, the audience where they can contact you on social media and just a little bit about what you do to get our conversation started? Um, so I can be found on most social media under the username uh, Temujin9, T-E-M-U-J-I-N, and then the number nine. Um, I do software consulting, as, as you said, uh, mostly around building repeatable infrastructure for large enterprises and things that need a lot of resiliency. Nice. So, Nathan, you and I have had... Uh, umpteen hours of conversation uh, between us. What um, specific topics did you want to kind of dive into? It doesn't have to relate specifically to massage, um, but it does relate, I think, generally to like overall business um, infrastructure. Are there like specific topics that are gnawing at you? I mean, they're not gnawing at me, but I, th I think a lot of uh, people maybe don't understand the dynamics that are driving your business. And I, I, that's the most fascinating part of the discussions for me is, is that you're really kind of going in a novel direction for your industry. And it's, it's not entirely novel direction from my industry's perspective, but you're still doing a lot of the uh, cutting edge, riding the wave kind of stuff that I like to talk about. Cool. So what does that uh, specifically relate to? So specifically, uh, the stuff we've been talking about is around um, the cost of di digital distribution and how that cost going to effectively zero marginal cost changes the shape of businesses fundamentally. Because um, your, your own business is a great example now. Um, it doesn't cost you any more to serve the next person. So everything that you do can just be in uh, service of making the overall thing you're making more useful rather yeah. than having to spend increasing amounts helping the next person. Eventually you'll hit scaling costs where you'll want, you'll be paying more to add those additional people because you'll outstrip your uh, current architecture but that won't be true for a while um, if we get if we get over ten thousand people studying with me online we might consider <laughs> bumping yeah. up a camera or something but i i think you might also uh it, the real likelihood is that people start complaining to you about failures in the current product and you go and look and they're like dude you're putting way too much work through uh, through our system Hopefully that never is the case because hopefully you're, you've chosen well on your uh, technology stacks and they are able to scale more than you can scale your business. Yeah. Um, but if not, that would be where you have additional costs from additional people. But for the most part, you don't. Your costs per uh, additional customer are very flat. And that means all of the cost is in quality, like I said. How do you see that apply across like other industries? <laughs> some examples. Um, software is the best example because that's why software is in the position it is today. 
um, the marginal cost of serving a person through software is incredibly low. You and that's for most software. There are things where you can drive that cost back up, but costs relative to value returned is just crazy leverage. Um, like it's fractions of a penny or less to deliver most websites to people. Yeah. Overall, those the cost associated with that website is mostly in idle time rather than in actually delivering on most websites. Um, but something has to be there. Um, so there's just so much that can be done with so little uh, comparative cost that it completely undercuts a lot of existing models. And that's what uh, software uh, around the Bay Area um, startups like to call disruption, um, yeah. which is increasingly getting a bad name but the underlying thing of it is true that software does make things more efficient. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, I went from, you know, a completely, what, what I say is organic, but I mean, in-person business. I, I'm a massage therapist. I work on people. They have to be in my physical presence. I can work on one at a time. I started teaching and it was like, oh, I could teach a class for like 10 people. And then you got the digital distribution and workbooks, DVDs. You started to experience factors of scale. And then as we continued distributing content, that was when subscription came up. And I went, wait a second. This doesn't – why don't I just record my classes and allow access to everybody who wants it for like a low fee per month, like kind of a Netflix model? People in my industry were like, what? You're not just going to give them everything, are you? And I go – Huh? Like, why wouldn't I? Yeah, exactly. It's still still, this like weird spot in people's mind because they feel like uh, I'm giving away trade secrets. Um, Yeah. Uh, Software has a similar thing called open source. um, And it gets similar resistance. There's a lot of people who think it's undercutting better solutions with poorly implemented ones, um, for instance, or that the lack of an owner company means there's not a clear support path, which is true. Um, but ultimately almost all of the software that I rely on is open source or is powered by open source. Um, and it, the value of free in a almost free distribution environment is impressive and the value of low sustainable cost is almost as impressive and also happens to bring in money, which is the biggest problem that open source has. Hmm. It feels like the conversation is pretty um, like in depth. It's something that I've followed along because I've talked to you for so long and worked with it. It makes me wonder about the application towards various businesses. So, of course, I work in the health and wellness field. I work as a massage therapist. But I'm trying to think of, you know, the sort of not not necessarily disruption. When you see this business model crop up with digital distribution, like what are the top three businesses you can think of that have had influence because of this model? Um, media. 
it media took, across the board. Uh, I, I, across the board, and I was specifically thinking video media, it took the incumbents a while to understand the digital distribution. And right now they still are in a knife fight about who gets a share of the overall pie because nobody wants Netflix to be preeminent. So everybody made their own streaming service, Yeah, but everybody made their own streaming service because it is so much easier to use than any other type of video distribution. Yeah. Um, it, it completely killed the video store model. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, after that retail, Amazon. Uh, Amazon is just eating every other retail company alive and will continue to do so. Walmart is running its best as a close second. I think everything else is kind of humping along on the hopes that people hate Amazon and like going out shopping as a thing. I don't think they're going to live long-term because Amazon's <laughs> distribution model is just so much slicker. Yeah. Um, it'll be, it'll hit competition from things like Alibaba out of uh, Asia. Um. Yeah, I don't know what the future holds there, but I'm I'm pretty sure the digital distribution model for them too. And then back to my home base, Amazon also pioneered uh, cloud computing in terms of uh, platform as a service. Yeah, or, I'm sorry. Yes, platform as a service, uh, which is basically um, rentable hardware by the hour, which. It sounds kind of like, why would you do that? But the reason you do it is by doing that, you no longer have to do a lot of the buying the hardware yourself, putting it in a network, getting that network connected, stable, the internet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of work that goes into that, that renting by the hour you get away from. And it turns out that's a much easier model to scale with. What do you see with this model and like developing trends? Like what, what do you think is, is coming? Like you're, you're so much more involved in the tech side of it than I am. Um, I just see the after effects, like being able to use Netflix. Like, what do you, what do you think is coming? Um, I think the days of, um, paper and mortar business are slowly getting chipped away. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, some of that is coming at negative consequences to the people in, in involved in the existing businesses um, because the kind of gig economy stuff that is growing in its place of like Lyft replacing uh, taxi services and so on. Yeah. Um, the balance of power there is nowhere near as good. Um, though also because of the larger scope of the uh, owning company, Lyft, they are in some ways more vulnerable to lawsuits. So maybe on the whole, like class action balances that out. Um, but you're going to have a lot more of that 
managed by remote, managed by a service rather than managed by a person uh, cropping up. And in some ways that's good for people, but mostly it's good for the people who own it. Um, and so one of the things I'm kind of digging around for is ways to make tools that people can use um, that don't rely on those big centralized sources so much. Yeah. But that's kind of far afield from that. Um, nearer nearer uh, to the source, there are a lot of tools that are being made that are becoming more accessible to people who aren't me or like me. Um, there's this thing called no code that's coming out, which is basically all of the things that you would normally be doing via software language and programming in theory, you could do with a good user interface and an average person just kind of connecting pipes and, and choosing settings. It's still hard work. You got to mentally think through things, but it doesn't require as much training and knowledge of the underpinnings as a lot of things that came before. And there's already things that are kind of a good example of that, of like, if then, if this, then that, it, I, I think it's IFTT.com, um, which is a way of like piping web services together and you can do it for yourself of like, if a, if I post a Twitter thing, copy it over to Facebook or what have you. Um, I'm not quite sure that integration works, but there are others of similar form. Um, so I think there's coming a day where there are a number of ways to tie together small things like you're doing with your business in ways that give people who are willing to do the work leverage and yeah. can make small businesses that at least within niches outcompete the massive ones because your costs are so much lower. Yeah. We'll yeah. take just a quick break. Oh, hey, how guys, are we doing so far on, on technical? Should I step it back down a notch? Hey guys, it's Robert with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. I want you to know we have an interactive <laughs> online live class coming up. There should be a link uh, down below where you can click on that. I'm going to be teaching a six-hour CE class that's going to be determined by the people who purchase. You get to dictate what you want to learn. I'm going to teach you interactively live. In addition, we have a subscription service. It is completely free for your first month. It is $7 a month thereafter. You can unsubscribe at any time. If you're looking for in-person classes, there are classes currently coming up in Dallas and Austin and Fort Smith, Arkansas. If you have any other questions for me, feel free to reach out. You can find my website at robertgardnerwellness.com and all of the products I just mentioned there in the store. Good.
I can hear you fine. Yep, but not into the stream. So, sorry you guys couldn't hear me for a second there. Um, my settings weren't right. But I was talking about the online class. I wanted to come into the ad real quick and talk about how we asked the Reboot Insiders Club uh, subscribers if what would be the most valuable thing for them to learn in the online class that will be happening February what are the dates again? Let's scroll up here. I think it's the eleventh, the eighteenth, and the twenty-fifth. Eleventh, eighteenth, and the twenty-fifth. So if if you're watching this live stream right now and you would like to, you know, maybe put your two cents in the comments below, please do about how uh, what what topic you'd like to learn about. Yeah, we're going to be doing this online live class, and um, it's pretty revolutionary for the industry, and um, it'll give you the opportunity to practice and learn from the comfort of your own home, from your comfort of your own studio, or wherever you have access to the internet and a display. You can even do it on the train if, uh, if that's where you are, or the metro. And we, we, we greatly appreciate you guys for tuning in to this podcast, and as we're you know, waiting for for uh, Nathan to get back. Um, if you can like, comment, and subscribe, and uh, and let's get back to the show. Nathan, are you back here? Yes, sir. Oh, cool. Can uh, your videos turn turned off? There we go. Uh, cool. hold on. Oh, ah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Just a little bit off and off. There we are. So you're back, Robert. So, Nathan, again, uh, tell people where they can contact you and where they can find you online. So my handle, which is pretty much everywhere, is uh, T-E-M-U-J-I-N-9. I'm most active on Twitter. Um, I run the Greenfield Guild, uh, greenfieldguild.com. And that's a software consulting firm uh, specializing in infrastructure and scaling. Uh, specifically on Kubernetes. Nice. So, uh, Nathan, can you want to continue with what you were talking about before we went to break? Um, if you can remind me where we left off. So we were talking about, you know, businesses scaling. We talked about Amazon, Walmart competition. Um, we kind of got towards Uber and Lyft sort of apps. And I was asking you about sort of your predictions about the future, about what you saw potentially coming. Right. So, yeah, to sum that up, um, I think I was mostly finished, and that's why I was confused. Um, there are tools that are coming that will allow people who are good at looking around for new tools to kind of get more and more leverage for small businesses. Um, and small businesses specifically uh, win in what's called the long tail, which is the overlap of odd interests that the big companies can't hit because they have to be too general. Like Netflix is never going to produce a vault of educational content for massage therapy, nor yeah. are they going to host it. Yeah. Um, and so you being in the long tail of the Netflix style market is perfectly fine. And you will have a, a, a good following in that tale among the people who do value what you provide. 
I honestly, Nathan, you and I have gone back and forth a million different times about the subscription service I started. And I, at some point, all the stuff came together and I went, whoa, 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 wait, wait, this digital distribution completely changed. Wait a second. Whoa. Like this is, this is like a whole nother beat beast altogether. And I could see it. And the thing is, it is probably one of the most controversial things I've done. Almost everyone I have worked with is like, you need to raise the fee on that subscription service. You're, I, you, what do you mean it's free for your first month? Like, are you nuts? Like, you, what do you mean you're only charging $7? You need to charge like $30 a month. And I'm like, no, nope. it is, it is the thing I, I have the conversation. I, and the thing is, I think because, um, you know, Soothe and Zeal are not owned by massage therapists. Those are apps that people use to be able to get massage therapists to come to their home. It's a kind of an Uber style thing, but for massage specifically for like out calls to your home. So that's not introduced by massage therapists. I'm a massage therapist dealing with education of massage therapists and going, wait a second, why don't I just go direct to the consumer and sell information for pennies on the dollar? Yeah. And the only reason, so people think about raising prices because they think of a market share as relatively static. And that's information that you have mostly learned from economics that talk about large companies in competition. And long tail competition is just fundamentally shaped differently. The higher you price it, the more people you price out. And in the long tail, what you're competing for is to make your thing as generally accessible as possible without dilution because it's the dilution that that the big companies win on they dilute things down to where it's generally accessible to everybody but it's disney and disney makes some fun things but it's never going to provide certain classes of people with the stuff they want yeah um so you don't want to compete with disney directly but you can compete in the same market by providing those things that Disney can't ever provide. Or in your case, providing those things that the massage uh, industry can't provide, which is easily accessible, local to the home, globally accessible, cheap. Like you've got so many things that you compete on relative to the mainstream industry that I'm just I'm surprised that more people don't catch on except that you're doing so many new things that it's confusing. Well, and, and the thing is the confusing part um I go back to this in marketing. I'm trying to learn more about marketing, packaging, advertising, image, you know, how do you package things, get a certain result, you know, um even initially like we were trying to explain to people we had a subscription service and they were like, "A what?" I'm like, subscription service for what? And I'm like, massage education. And they're like, huh? I'm like, we're the Netflix of massage education. And they go, huh? Like, it's so it's so new and so weird. I'm like, listen, you get a vault. You get access. Just watch whatever you want. I've recorded every class for two years. 
we've got a private Facebook group. You can ask me questions. I can shoot video to answer your questions, and you can ask me questions, and I can answer them in whatever way. And in other words, I use your feedback to make it better, make it better, make it better, make it better. All the staff or people that have worked with me see is, oh my God, like if they're paying seven bucks, if they paid thirty bucks, you'd make three times as much money. And I'm like, eh, like this yeah. is the foundation. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem with that idea is also that they assume that the number of customers is static. Yeah. And it definitely isn't. It's a function of the price. The more you raise the price, the fewer customers you have. And so what you get is a curve that I can't really draw on, on a podcast. Um, but you get a trade-off and I've been pushing you towards the trade-off that gives you the most customers yeah. because of those customers, first of all, you can scale worldwide. You don't do anything brick and mortar. That means it can go to anybody who can speak your language. Yeah. And English is the most popular language in the world for better or worse. Um, so you have a worldwide audience. Not all of them can afford $30 a month. A lot yeah. more of them can afford $7 a month. Yep. If I were to tell you to make a price move, I'd say turn it down. <laughs> but only after you get to the point where you are well known in areas where people are struggling to make the cost. Yeah. And and, and um, to be more clear, this is where people get confused because I really I sort of fantasize about this. It's not just American massage therapists. I really think about reaching into a place in like sub-Saharan Africa where somebody with a cell phone and enough internet access can study with me and help on help people in their village. That's the email I'm waiting on because they don't understand. Like they keep saying, well, you can't learn online. And I'm like, okay, they can't teach you online, but I can because the feedback I'm getting tells me otherwise I'm changing people's lives and I'm changing their practices for $7 a month. There, it's no, there's no di dispute about this. The challenge is I have to teach people in a very different way than they're used to dealing with. So I am limited because I can't yeah. do hands-on pressure. We're working to try to approximate and deliver. Let's say it's only 80%. We're working to push as far as we can to get to that 80% and distribute that globally. Right, because – a thing that people miss about an 80% solution is it can be supplemented. Like if people find they are missing parts of the 20%, that's easier to supplement than it is to get the whole 100% somewhere else, first of all. And second of all, if you can only get the 80%, but you can get the 80% across the globe, that across the globe adds up to something because when I was young, I got to watch the transition to the internet. And that's part of why I'm so hardline on this is before the internet, I was limited to the information in my library. <laughs> that was like the, the, there were two different uh, encyclopedia sets in there. Neither of them were up to date. All of it was very manual. Um, getting online was just absolutely mind-blowing because I could talk to people around the world, not just on general topics, but on incredibly specific topics that I cared about. 
they were games. It wasn't important. But the breadth of conversation and the difference in how how much information can come across is just mind-blowing. And it's not because they can trans transmit information perfectly. It's because I can get so much more information from so many more sources. And so you being able to give everybody access, not just to the class you're teaching today, but every class you ever taught, that may add up to more than the 20% that's missing. Yeah. It's, it's one of these things I looked at and I remember uh, my original teacher, you know, she provided some support structure and education and I worked with her own classes and I look at what I provide my students and I go, Ooh, don't ever complain to me. <laughs> like workbooks, DVDs, online curriculum, YouTube channel, social media, Twitter, like just this huge amount of access. And I keep pushing uh, further along to give people more content. And again, one of the interesting things is even though the fee is $7, I keep adding to it and increasing its value over time. It gets more valuable, not less. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that gets back to that quality versus uh, customer cost. The whole point of only delivering what you can deliver essentially for free globally is that all you can roll almost all of your income back into developing the quality rather than continuing the distribution. Yeah. And like I've said several times, that comes in at the knees or the ankles of most industries. Oh, I've never even I've never even thought about that. The only distribution issue, which isn't really a distribution issue, is advertising, which means getting people to see your product and then be able to pick it up you know the distribution of attention is a thing um yeah. and it's kind of the thing these days um it's also the thing i'm the least good at advising people on unfortunately um there's a lot of money tied up in it there's a lot of companies tied up uh trying to get you to give them money for it um and it it works I, I don't like a lot of how it works, but so it goes. Um, it's, it's one of the few things you can't reliably do for free online. And I, I understand why, because the reliable free path is called spam. Yeah. With good reason. Like there's no, There is no clean, open path to allow vendors to try and hawk things to you. Yeah. Um, so so I, I have an email list. We know we have a messenger uh, thing that was through my through my business page last night. Somebody said, you know, I spammed them, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait! Don't write me in my business page. <laughs> like you're yeah, you're in my you're in my inbox. There's a lot of etiquette questions around email and. I've been saying this a while um, that email is kind of slowly dying. Um, yeah. And now so are phone calls, actually, uh, interestingly enough. my I had to stop accepting in, inbound phone calls from people I didn't know. Yep. Um, as, because have, as have I. Robocalls have turned it into a spam medium, and we don't have a good way to spam filter 
Like part of the reason I only do some things open source is because Google Mail is the only solution I have encountered where spam filtering is just a done deal. Yeah. And that was worth the the autonomy I gave up. Um, I value people's data. And when people give me an email address, I don't just like send spam emails. In fact, even if I'm selling something, I've usually got, hey, here's a link to our latest YouTube video, some other free content, a blog post I wrote, other stuff that might be of value to you. You know, here's a link to the podcast. In addition, I'm I'm very even though we've kind of, you know, trying to scale the business out, I still have a distinct sense that I have to provide value to my customers. Oh, yeah. Um, I think of sometimes like, would I want to get this email? And what I do, I get emails all the time. And I just go, ah, not interested. Delete. Whoop. It's like to me, it's just not a big deal. So I think even as the business continues to scale, it always goes back to the individual customer. Um, a young lady had purchased like a workbook and a DVD, physical stuff, you know. And then when I looked at the order, you know, she wrote me and she said, hey, I didn't get my stuff. And I looked at it and she had ordered downloads. But she was confused. She didn't understand. And I said, I wrote her an email and said, listen, I just want you to be happy. I have two ways I can deal with this. I can just ship you the materials you thought you purchased or – I'm willing to comp you some other digital materials just so long. I just want you to be happy is essentially what I said in the email. She decided to go ahead and get me to ship those workbooks and materials. I probably uh, didn't make any money. I might have lost a little money shipping it to her. I don't care because it's a workbook. Like I need her to be happy more than I need the income for 20 bucks from some workbook I made. Yeah, Goodwill is one of the only ways to uh scale attention um word of mouth like getting making your customers just really really happy with what you're producing is the only free way to scale attention that i know and you're doing an excellent job of that it just it requires that you already have their attention so it's a it's a slow growth it will eventually take off as you have more and more customers in the end every time doesn't matter if it's online, doesn't matter if it's in person. I'm like, how do I solve a problem? How do I help this person out? Thomas McGregor was on the podcast last night. I hadn't met him in person uh, at all. I, I talked to him five minutes before the podcast, and it's like, Thomas, what can I do for you? Every business person I deal with, it doesn't matter if they sell tacos at their taco truck. I'm like, what can I help you with? And they're like, I don't understand Instagram. And I'm like, come here. I'll take my phone and <laughs> make videos of your taco preparation. Um, trying to help people and be of assistance, um, even though our business becomes increasingly digital, I have a distinct notion of being able to connect with people, creating a sense of connection, authenticity, and trust that leads to eventual sales. It's not about me making money. It, it, it just so absolutely not. It's about getting the trust, and then money seems to result down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll just take a quick break. Hey guys, it's Robert with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. We have a plethora, yes, a plethora, not of just pinatas, but, but um, materials on our store. It's robertgardnerwellness.com. You can find multiple items um, that are in the store. One of the things that we have is a free trial for our subscription service. That's completely free for your first month, $7 a month thereafter. You can unsub it anytime. 
we have an interactive online class. We are really excited to offer this February 11th, 18th, and 25th. You can sign up. You'll have access to the video after the fact. You're going to get six hours of CE credit approved by the National Certification Board. You've got to work on that uh, submission. And then I'm going to work with you and another professional. You're going to follow us step by step. I'm going to walk you through so you can give and receive feedback with your colleague. You get to choose the curriculum. You get to ask me specifically on what you want to learn and what we're going to teach you. In addition, we've got a host of workbooks, DVDs, in-person classes coming up in Dallas, Austin, and Fort Smith, Arkansas. Again, you can find all of that at robertgardnerwellness.com in the store. And I'm back with Nathaniel Elliott. Nathan, can you tell them where they can find you again? Uh, you can find me on most social media at uh, Temujin9, T-E-M-U-J-I-N-9. Um, I also run the Greenfield Guild, uh, greenfieldguild.com, for uh, further information on that. If, if I had to guess, um, like, because I'm dealing with digital distribution and I go, uh, so I can kind of get numbers on like us massage therapists. But when you go outside of the country, like it culturally just changes globally. I'm like, what is the world marketplace like for massage education? I'm like, can I get 1% of a global, <laughs> of right. the global marketplace? <laughs> this is, um, part of the thing you are going to just have to wrestle with in building your business. <laughs> Um, is that uh, the world market is going to be very different from the American market. Um, yeah. There's going to be cultural sensitivity issues that you may not expect at all. Um, yes. Like uh, there's some fascinating stuff from, uh, from military friends of mine that they talk about like knife hand is because pointing in certain cultures is impolite ah. um, all sorts of little traps like that and so you're you're gonna have to just decide how you navigate those um, and it's gonna be a case-by-case -case thing um, I can't really give you broad general advice a lot of it is discovery um, yeah Sure, go ahead. Uh, Nathan, people were asking in the chat if uh, if you'd be interested in talking about politics, but one that is <laughs> more specific to your industry is uh, Learn to Code, which, which uh, came across on Twitter. Uh, what was your impression, and how do you feel about that philosophy? So I, I chose uh, poorly on my T-shirt choice today for uh, what I typically do with poli political conversation, which is take a hard left. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm ultimately kind of frustrated with the state of political conversation today. I will make my judgments on my own and vote when the time comes, um, but I'm not really strongly interested in deep political conversation. Um, no offense, y'all. Um, however, some uh, things, I, I haven't therefore seen the specifics on the uh, learned code, uh, which 
unfortunately makes it hard to speak to it, but I will say learning to code is probably one of the most valuable things that anybody can do, even if it's only to the extent of learning how to use an Excel spreadsheet well. That is coding. A lot of programmers don't like to admit it, um, but you're using programming primitives. You're just using it in an odd little framework. Um, Learning how to do that will let you see the underside of the world that is being built around you in ways that I can't explain unless you've done so. And it's unfortunate. Um, I see that my choice to not talk about politics is somewhat disappointing. Sorry, um, y'all. I'm going to, can, I, can, I, can I put it in another thing that you said was that yeah. um, with Internet of Things becoming more and more... Uh, dominant in the way that we transact uh, businesses and stuff like that with businesses and stuff like that. Um, you talked about that the user interface and UX of things is getting to be where there's something called no code, which maybe learn to code is a bit aggressive and um, hard to swallow, no. but so no code like Zapier and IFTT like you were talking about um, is there? How does someone get into the avenue of 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 employment through that? Unfortunately, I don't know. Um, no code is a very new thing, and the problem with new things is uh, often you have to be an expert before you can get employed in it because there's only a little bit of uh, work for it. Um, it will expand in all likelihood. Uh, the demand for Programming like work, it well exceeds supply. Uh, I get paid ridiculous amounts for my work because of that. Um, and eventually the, the market's going to tip and no code's going to be a thing. So learning how to use it today and demonstrating value with it at your current work is probably how I would do it. Um, that's always kind of a good leg up into a technical field. Um, learning how to code itself will bridge gaps because the no code, while it's going to make things somewhat useful, is only going to cover some areas to start. It's not going to cover everything. It's definitely not going to reach down into the layers that I work on anytime very soon. Um, so knowing how to actually code will still be useful for a long time to come as well. Yeah. How, how do you, how does someone, an, a beginner in your industry start thinking about what languages they should, should, um, to, to, to learn because you've got so many different ones from my time, you know, trying it out from, from, people saying, well, the only way to do it is to, the only way to go is go because Google <laughs> kind of dominated the world at the time. And then they were like, oh, well, if you go towards uh, gaming, you need to know how to code in Ruby or C Sharp or Rails. You know, um, what would you say to someone who's like a beginner? Um, I would say find the thing you want the 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 specific part of the industry you want to work in and work backwards from there 
Um, because you're right, it is different in different parts. Like Go is amazingly popular in my area. Um, Kubernetes is written in it. Um, but front-end web development is all JavaScript at the moment. And for that matter, so are a lot of other things. Um, game development is going to be things that are a lot closer to the metal, like C++, C Sharp, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So work backwards from the area you want to end up in. And also don't focus just on one language, because a lot of understanding how programming as a process works comes out of looking at how different programming languages do it and understanding why the differences are there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's a topic for a full podcast or longer uh, that I don't really want to inflict on, yeah. on everybody. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you guys have, you guys, Robert and you have really talk, talked about it, but not in the, the container that, that I think uh, that the label of data sciences and what big data is, but. So it's... that's actually yet another set of things that only somewhat touched uh, on um, big data and data science. Not all of the people involved in data science have deep programming skills. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of jobs in and around data science that are around data collection, data labeling, um, data conditioning, which is kind of checking and also stati statistical massages on the data. Um, and none of those require what I would consider deep programming knowledge, though some of them require a lot of math. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other side of it, are things that are ostensibly written in languages I understand, like Python, mm. but machine learning is its own beast. And I've tried to follow for a while, but that's that definitely uh, stretches the limit of my understanding of computers. Mm. Mm. And so to like tie it back in uh, with massage and, and anyone that's a practitioner in a in an industry that's non not directly tied to tech how do do those type of individuals uh retain their like their digital sovereignty or their security uh um online? well that's increasingly difficult um the first thing i would say is assume that unless you have strong, strong assurances, probably ones that you can't get from current companies, assume that anything that you put online is going, is potentially public knowledge. Don't put it online if you don't want it to be public knowledge because once it leaves your computer, there are too many paths for, you, for it to get uh, leaked, get uh, screenshotted by the other party, get uh, requested by the authorities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and along with this comes, be wary of the IoT trend that you were talking about. Um, I, I can't count the number of programmers who just react in horror to the idea of, putting in 
uh, something like Alexa. Some of them are quite okay with it. A lot of the more um, liberty-focused ones get really antsy about it, and with good reason. You're installing an open mic in your home. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is you're also doing that if you get uh, recent phones, unless you turn off things like the uh, uh, voice activation. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are only local loop to the phone, but I wouldn't trust that they don't send information on beyond that without stricter assurances that I'm given. So mm-hmm. we are unfortunately living now in what David Brin termed the transparent society where massive surveillance is happening. It's happening mostly at the behest of large companies. And it's kind of like the weather. It's not like City Hall. You as the average person can't fight it. You can only pick good uh, clothing to go out in it. Mm -hmm. Once the Um, conversation gets to Ed Snowden, that's when it gets interesting. (laughs) <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to talk politics. But collecting anyway. emails, collecting data, and then I'm like, ooh, man, these platforms like Facebook are collecting all of this data. Oh, and Lord. people think what goes through their feed is just like that's what everybody sees, like it's a newspaper. And I'm like, no, no, it is not. No. They both mm-hmm. collect and shape data on scales that we don't have cultural norms around to understand yet. All of our understanding comes from the past when uh, when none of these things were possible, when it wasn't possible to listen to an entire population, mm-hmm. when it wasn't possible to spot propagandize anybody. And now everybody has their own individual view into the world controlled by large companies who have their own agendas. But I think so, that some of the some of the some of the failures that maybe people run into is that they get too secure they get they get too too secure because at one point at some point then they 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 lose the they lose the ability to sell the products that they're selling because they've cornered off they've cornered themselves so niche on a market that there's no there's no customer base yeah it's it's a hard balance to strike but the fact of the matter is most companies aren't striking it anywhere near what we would accept if we knew what we were accepting mm-hmm. and everybody else is yeah too reactive to provide a good alternative we got to read the fine print. <laughs> Reading the fine print will tell you how they are uh, taking advantage of you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess, like in 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 you know, it's fitting to let's let's talk about this when we come back from break. But how do people who own businesses and brands negotiate with technology companies to monetize the work that they're doing in a educated and and um and strategic manner so let's go to big break real quick we'll be right back all right you're in hey guys it's robert with the robert gardner wellness podcast there is a host of information on my website 
There is a free trial subscription service <clears throat> for massage education. There is a live interactive class coming up. If you are a subscriber, you'll get a 50 off percent coupon code for that. Uh, that's going to give six hours of CE credit and you get to choose the curriculum. In addition, I have a host of workbooks, DVDs, also live classes coming up in Austin, Dallas, and Fort Smith, Arkansas. You can find all of that information at robertgardnerwellness.com in the store. Almost, sorry. Oop. There we go. So I was laughing because uh, Steve Hinton is a, a friend and colleague who lives north of me. And he said that his dog's name is Isis. And he said between like Alexa and like texting to let Isis out, he's wondering how many watch lists he's on. <laughs> yeah, I... I... At this point, there's only so much you can worry about that, too. Um, I, I suspect that their discrimination is a little better than that, though. <laughs> um, one would hope. So, so yeah, let, I'll reiterate what, what I was saying was that essentially how do influencers uh, or businesses or brands, uh, whichever term you coin or like the most, <laughs> um, negotiate monetization deals with you know um tech companies uh whether they're facilitating software for you or you know they're big conglomerates like youtube or amazon or the like of like something like that um so with small companies and it, it, there's there's kind of a balance um Small companies generally can't afford what I do is the short answer. So getting customized software for a very small company is often not a feasible path. Um, if you have somebody in the company who is deeply invested and who wanted to start building you out inside of open source tools, that is one way that you can kind of regain some sovereignty. Um, the other thing that you can do in a small company is unfortunately uh, exit. You generally don't get an option to negotiate. You can't tell YouTube, hey, I don't like what you're doing. Do something different and hope that they'll listen. Because unless you have 50,000 people also saying the same thing, they don't have an ear for it. Um, but you can leave. So figuring out fallback positions and how you could move the things that you have is probably important step number one. Like if you have a thing that you are relying on a particular service for, make sure you at least know how to back things up. Hmm. Preferably be backing everything up regularly and testing that you can restore that's step one. Step two is figuring out how to take the backups from one system and move them into another. That's a really fraught problem. I can't give you easy solutions there. Um, but being at least aware that that's a problem you might have to face is an important thing to consider. Um, otherwise, yeah, try and as much as possible... Uh, 
pick systems that allow you good connections in and out, um, like that allow you to upload your own video rather than recording through their system, um, so on and so forth. And that way you can kind of build a tool chain in and around it that isn't necessarily all encumbered with how YouTube does it. And you can have your recordings and so on all in this private system. And then the big things that you're dealing with that you might have to switch at some point can be just kind of the public endpoint to it. Um, so there's that. Um, the other option is uh, engage with smaller companies that are more focused, that are doing, providing some sort of software as a service. Um, so Teachable is an example. Like you can do things with Teachable you can't do with YouTube. Um, they're probably still on the large side of things, but um, uh, reaching out to companies that do video editing, which I think Robert engages with a company that can do that kind of thing. Um, like working with smaller shops, you are more likely to get a negotiation opportunity. You just can't expect that the negotiation opportunity is going to be, I want new software. It's more, I want your existing thing to maybe be changed a little bit to fit this need. That's where you're, you could negotiate rather than a whole fresh thing. Mm. And I think the thing that uh, Robert's having a challenge is even getting some of his therapist to change their settings on Facebook. <laughs> like, uh, you know, um, um, it is talking, a thing. Like, if we're talking across an industry, uh, my industry is having problems with email lists and they're having a problem with like scheduling software. That's how rudimentary the conversations are. They're not even really yeah. going where we're going. Um, and that's, that's fair. Um, for scheduling software, again, I like Google. Um, but there are a lot of options out there. Uh, find one, one or two that are well-recommended and start learning them. Um, is my recommendation to massage therapists. Uh, Scheduling software, here's what they want. They don't want to do any tech support. They want an all-in-one thing that deals with their soap notes, takes payments, sends out coupons, contacts a person via email and text, sends out reminders. They want all-in-one integration. And okay. the, so the what, for that is, whoo. Yeah, what they're hoping for is that, that app that you and I have kicked around on occasion. And yeah. it, it, that, unfortunately, is back to the negotiating for private development. Um, and an individual massage therapist is an even worse place to negotiate for that. So the best you've got are Soothe and Zeal. Yeah. Um, and they are definitely owned by moneyed interest um, and therefore are going to take a larger chunk than something that was more directly owned. Um, yeah, maybe we will get to uh, building that app at some point. Um, app development specifically is An not. App. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's super popular, but it's also super popular as a development niche. I think, I think and, what Steve Hinton just said is interesting because he does bring up a good point across any industry is that the uh, freeware 
is what what even they're looking for. They're not, they're, but in order to have freeware, you need to subsidize it with something like you know third party advertising. Right. I mean, Soothe and Zeal is sort of free in that you don't have to pay them any money. They take money from your client and pay you some. Um, that the yeah the money has to come from somewhere. Software. The the magic is that software can basically serve the next person for free, but the first person is so expensive that and people miss that about it. It's it's all of the prices up front. It's in that development, and it's non-trivial. Um, software developers aren't cheap. Uh, tools for testing, especially across the broad range of devices that you need to for app development, not cheap not quick to set up, prone to problems. Um, so all of that means that a lot of these niches aren't quite tapped or are tapped only by people who are looking for that, that uh, what they call a unicorn, um, which is a soft piece of software that costs hundred thousand a million to write and returns billions um because when those things show up they pay for all of the duds and then some um and that's that's kind of venture capital investment in a nutshell but those people have to make their money back so soothe and zeal are taking what is it 50 percent more I can't remember. Some, some, yeah, I'm not sure. And the thing is, the, the companies themselves have altered percentages over time, I believe. Right. And that's probably written into your uh, your agreement with them that they can do that at any time. Um, yeah. And it's unilateral. And yeah, we, we live in the age of the end user licensing agreement, which is basically corporate privilege writ large, privilege just being from the Latin roots uh, for private law. They are basically writing laws, and you don't get to argue with them except not accept their services. So true, so true, and and the detriment to someone's life just by getting you know a negative rating on or like a two star, you know, it, it yeah, can take you off um, the platform. Yeah, that that's that's a big problem with Lyft and uh, and other ride sharing is that yeah, it's it's back to the tipping problem. Only now it's your entire job, not just whether you make enough money tonight. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel, like, I feel like offline, like things like, you know, the Domino's pizza driver isn't as uh, held accountable as the Postmates driver. Yeah, and that's some of that is part of the value proposition that big companies, because of their need to hire cheap and deliver in quantity can't do quality control quite as well. But the problem is these new apps are just passing the cost of the quality control to the poor schmuck that is working three jobs and is therefore exhausted and not able to do the job quite as well as the entitled person that ordered expected. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not always the case, but that's the edge case of somebody makes a decision because they have no real skin in the game that 
ultimately hurts the person who was doing all the work and shouldered all the risk. Mm-hmm. I think the big scary question, and maybe in the last five minutes we talk about this, because uh, Robert and I talk about this a lot, a lot, a lot, is automation and robotics just basically eating up the whole industry. Yeah, that's that's what uh, industry disruption is all about, is that automation replaces a lot of things that used to take people. And we don't have a good answer for that as a society. About the best answer I've heard floated so far is universal basic income. And that would be nice, but the political barriers to that are just so high that I'm, I'm concerned we won't have a solution by the time the problem becomes really apparent. And the way the problem will become apparent makes me worried that it's already happening. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have an increase in unemployment, specifically in people that never go back to the job pool because they've given up, because their niche has been squeezed out of the market. And those things, unfortunately, don't show up on our unemployment statistics very well because our unemployment statistics measure people who are trying. If you just give up, you no longer count in most measures. And so that's a hidden statistic we're not seeing much of. And I think what we are seeing is a lot of people from those industries that are squeezed the hardest by automation slowly getting more and more frustrated and blaming more and more people and getting more and more radicalized because they don't see any good way out of the crunch that's coming. One of the things about massage specifically is people will start having these conversations and worried that, you know, massage and robotics and, you know, we're having massage robots. And I go, well, hold on. Well, here's the thing. If we had a robot who was capable of replicating what I do, one, I want one. Uh, two, the next part is if we get to that degree of artificial intelligence and robotics, most jobs are gone that don't require somebody to repair the robot or program the robot. So the entire nature of work would completely transform in a way that I can't really postulate what would happen. Um, They keep saying that the next big thing is transportation and, you know, uh, driverless vehicles. You know, if you have a truck that you can put beer on in California and it shows up in Maine in whatever time frame and it shows up safely and the driver is not on meth, and it does what it's supposed to do, does the distribution of products go down so that it has a a profound impact on the marketplace? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fortunately, I think driverless vehicles are a little further away, but yeah, trucking is going to get hit hard once it does because that's going to be driven by actuarials, and actuarials have some of the most powerful leverage in business. What is an actuarial? How would you define that? Actuarials are the people who define insurance rates, and they do so with statistics that have been going on for a long time, and they are very well trusted. And what those statistics will say to the company at some point is, despite public opinion, driverless trucks are now less of an insurance risk than humans. Mm. And then it's only a matter of time. Yeah. And... Yes, there are many things that robots can't replace at a useful price point, but the problem is 
80% plus or not. Pretty much a a large majority of our work today is not very intellectually taxing or requiring of empathy. It is is grunt work. I don't mean to insult anybody who's doing it, um, but it is work that robots will replace. And then the ethical question becomes, what next? How do we, can we justify a world where people must work to live and there is no available work? I think people would, you know, generally speaking, and we're closing up here, is that people would rather talk about where they got their nice, the, the best tacos or, you know. It's a hard topic. People yeah. like tacos and tacos are a much easier one. Um, but I mean, we got some good places around here. I think, uh, you know, we got some Austin staples for sure. Um, yeah. Give me, give me a good, uh, truck taco any day of the week though. True. Yeah. The independent, you know, the, the person hustling out there trying to make their, their way. I think, I think, you know, when I think about automation and robots and artificial intelligence, people do like to say this, like Steve Hannon, that robots can't ever replace human touch, but how do we know it's not better? You know, that, how do we know if we don't know? Um, I mean, hopefully the, the amount of robotics actually helps with the human touch thing, because right now we're spending so much time apart working these bullshit jobs that we don't get enough touch. It would be really nice if we could stop working the bullshit jobs and just go out hang out and give each other massages more regularly i would love that i mean there's so much like if you talk about a restaurant for instance like people eat um when you talk about a brick and mortar establishment and the cost of a brick and mortar establishment as opposed to a taco truck which is why things shift people have to want to go out and sit at your restaurant there has to be something about that experience that draws people in to continue to make the food that you're offering worth whatever it is they're you know paying as a fee. As this so, can- luxury goods are going to be the last things to go, or luxury yeah. services rather. Like they may never go because what may happen is instead of uh, universal basic income freeing us from having to do bullshit work. Instead, all the bullshit work will turn into services for the ultra-rich. Mm-hmm. And we'll all be competing for that instead. And that seems less optimal. Isn't that sort of like a parallel that we're seeing in the narrative between you know people owning robots and Jerry Jones owning the Dallas Cowboys? I mean... Uh, the parallels between robotics and slavery are just a whole nother podcast and <laughs> super touchy. But yeah, there's there's all sorts of problematic associations with that already, and we haven't even gotten to the super automation. But if you think about it from the corporate standpoint, those Dallas Cowboys are there to provide a stream of media output. If they don't do their job, we need to replace the components. It's essentially robotic uh, already, and it's unfortunate for the people who are actually playing the game and the people who care about the game Mm -hmm. um, because they are robotic inputs to all of it. So maybe, maybe actual robots freeze us of some of that, or maybe it just makes it worse. I'm not sure. 
that's that uh, iRobot uh, movie. And it's, <laughs> First, them and their, their ma- mangling of uh, Isaac Asimov's work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we started a massage and wind up at the Animatrix having a robot revolt. <laughs> yeah, man, you knew what was coming when you invited me on. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we can absolutely you know continue to have these and uh, can go off in a multitude of directions. Uh, I would love to have you on the podcast again. We can pick some more maybe specific topics that you might want to go over to like niche down. But it's good to be able to have conversations outside of my industry specifically so that people understand sort of the broader mental framework and perspective I've been operating the business from. I'm really trying to build the business of the future, not so much just the business that serves customers' needs today. It was really looking at massage, which you'd think, well, this is ancient. You can't change massage. And I go, ooh, but it's packaging, delivery, servicing, like – there's a, a multitude of ways to change things to make it beneficial for the consumer and also beneficial for the givers. Yeah. And if I can think of one thing to advise non-technical people about the technical world, it is that of like, you don't have to change everything to use technology to drastically change what you do. You can just change one little thing with technology and it can give you a lot of leverage. And you yeah. can then do the next thing and the next thing, and soon you've got a lot of leverage. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. Nathan, uh, can you tell them one last time where they can contact you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter or other social media uh, as Temujin9, T-E-M-U-J-I-N, number nine, and at the Greenfield Guild, which is greenfieldguild.com. Great. Listen, thank you so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was this was a lot of fun. Hey guys, it's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. We have a live interactive class coming up. It's going to give you six hours of CE credit. You're going to train with me. You're going to be part of the innovation of our industry, teaching online, interactively delivering more information than massage therapists consume to help you practice thrive and have you help clients. You can find that at robertgardnerwellness.com in the store. If you are a subscriber to our Reboot Insiders Club, you're going to get 50% off of that. It's normally 100. You don't want to pay 100. You want to pay 50. Go ahead and subscribe. Also, there's workbooks, DVDs, time massage materials, and classes in person coming up in Austin, coming up in Dallas, and coming up in Fort Smith, Arkansas. More dates to be listed soon. You can find that and more information at robertgardnerwellness.com in the store. If you're following us on whatever channel, just follow, like, share, subscribe wherever you are. We're streaming across multiple platforms, including Twitch. I really